Hey, uh, we're in the last week of this sermon series. If you haven't been here, don't worry about it. We'll get you caught up. And you're not going to be totally lost or anything like that. Um, when I was younger, every once in a while, I know this is probably hard to believe, but every once in a while, I would get a little frustrated with my younger siblings. And I don't, you know, those of you that have brothers and sisters, you know, those of you that have kids, you know how that works a little bit. There's just something about being together 24-7 that just, I don't know, just, you, you know what I'm talking about. Andrew knows what I'm talking about. Um, and I know that, uh, not Andrew in particular, just siblings, right? I don't want to call Andrew out. But just siblings in general. And so I would go to my mom. I'm the oldest of three or four, uh, three younger siblings, oldest of four. And I would go to my mom. And being the oldest child is a burden to bear. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're kind of the flagship child. Like, there is a lot riding on you, you know? You've got to be on 24-7 because, like, this is, this is what this mom and dad can produce. This is the output here. Like, you know, you're just one, everything's got to be perfect. So I'd go to my mom, you know, very calmly and politely and, you know, uh, lodge a few complaints about my young, younger siblings. And I'd say something like, oh, they're, you know, they're so annoying. Or I'd tell my younger siblings, they're so annoying. You're so frustrating. You're so whatever. And maybe all the adjectives wouldn't, weren't the, the nicest adjectives in the world. And my mom, every once in a while, would do this thing that I absolutely hated. Because when you're in, like, when you're feeling frustration with another human being, all you want to hear is bad things about that human being, right? You want to let everybody else know how frustrating that person is. And my mom would do this thing where she would say, okay, Patrick, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a piece of paper. And I want you to write down 10 things that you like about your sister. Oh my goodness, yeah. Like it is, I don't know, like to, to, when you're just like, you know, you've got what, the Grinch or whatever going on in your heart and you're just like, ooh, I got to write down 10 things that I like about this sister. And so you're like, fine, okay, I like it when they're far away from me, you know. And my mom would be like, that doesn't count. You're not doing anything else until you write like 10 actual things. And it is just so frustrating because you don't want to think positive things about that human being. Now, what my mom was doing, I think, is wise because what had happened, my frustration came from like looking at the situation and being so focused on the thing that I didn't like that she was, whether or not she meant to do this, she was reminding me that there's this much larger picture that you have to take into account. So there's that one thing you dislike about them, but there's 10 other things that you actually do like about them, that you do, you know, that you can validate about them. And so it's, it's the, the attitude that you struggle with is often a result or the the problems that we struggle with, and whether it's siblings, but life, the problems that we have, our biggest problems in life, are often a result of limited thinking. They're often a result of we got into this little mindset, and all we can think about is that one thing, and it just feels like, feels like it's the biggest thing in the world. But if we were to step back and take in the whole scope, we would realize that problem would take its proper place in light of everything. And this isn't looking, this is not optimism versus pessimism. This isn't ignoring the problems, but this is just saying, let's put this problem in its proper context. Because our thinking often has to do with, or our, our negativity, our frustration, our aggravation, often has to do with this limited thinking. We're just limited. And if we would take that problem, we'd say, okay, now here's 10 things that I am grateful for, or 10 things that I am happy for, or 10 things that I am glad about. So we're focusing on one data point, 
And in reality, there were 10 things that I did like about my sister. And it took a while to populate that list. But what, happened, what was happening is I was taking too little information into account. And once I got the right information, my perspective could change. You could begin to like dig out at the hard you know, exterior of your frustration with somebody. Let me give you a, a prime example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever been driving down a street around town and the traffic is backed up? And you're looking at the car in front of you and you're like, why aren't they going faster? And then you realize that there's a car in front of them and why aren't they going faster? And you realize, you know, there's cars in front of them. And finally you get to a place where the road widens up to two lanes and of course you hit the gas and you're you're trying to find who was that driver that was slowing everybody down, that was ruining everybody's day. And you come up alongside this purple pickup and you realize, oh, that's my dad. (laughs) Right in the front. My dad is not a huge fan of the gas pedal. He loves to use whatever, you know, idling speed is to get down the road. Now, does that change my perspective about the situation? I'm so frustrated and then I'm like, oh, it's my dad. Dad, you drive however you want. You take it easy. You be careful. Instantly, because of an expanded point of view, my perspective has changed instantly. Just instantly. Now, I'm not saying that is based on a true story, But my dad has a very distinctive-looking car. Both my parents really drive distinctive-looking cars. Uh, My mom, you you just know when she's in the parking lot somewhere because that is the only one of its kind. So I just want us to understand as we begin this discussion here that often what we're dealing with in life is, is is a problem of focusing on too little information, too little perspective, too narrow perspective, and expanding our point of view. Things look completely different. Now, let, let's, let's get honest, because unfortunately, we don't do this a ton at churches. We don't get very honest. Uh, we try to at least make people think everything's great when it's not. We, don't, we, don't, we, want, we claim we want authenticity, but I don't know that we actually do. And so some of you right now are discouraged. You are very discouraged with life. You're discouraged with your family, maybe. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your faith. But you're discouraged, you're frustrated, you're feeling like I have tried everything that I am supposed to do. I have done, I have checked all the boxes that, that preachers and teachers and grandparents told me to check to live a happy, healthy life, and I'm feeling frustrated. I feel like I'm not bearing the fruit of that sort of life. And some of you, that discouragement lasts long enough that it becomes disillusionment. And you're wondering, like, is this even, is there anything to this? Is this real? I mean, are the people that wrote all those books that said, hey, here's how you get your life figured out within Christ, are they telling the truth or are they just, are, are they faking it too? Because I've been trying to do the right thing. I've been trying to get my life figured out and I feel discouraged and disillusioned and even some of you in this room and you don't want to be honest about it and I get it, I totally get why, but you're even like struggling with your faith and maybe you've gotten to the point where you're kind of phoning it in because you don't want to think about those issues. You don't want to think about the frustrations and the discouragement. You don't want to think about it. It's too much mental bandwidth, and you're just like, you know, I'm just going to kind of set this car to cruise control. I'm going to set my faith to cruise control and just, you know, go along. Some of you are frustrated with God. Some of you are frustrated with church. 
Now, it feels maybe like I'm painting a little bit of a bleak picture because I'm trying to cast a wide net. I realize that maybe there's some of you who are like, I had the best week last week. It was the most awesome time of my life. I totally get that. But I know that that's not true for everybody, and we want to be a place where we can encompass everybody and everybody's emotions. So for the people that are discouraged and disillusioned and struggling, I'm talking to you this morning, and I'm putting myself in that category, thinking through what it means to, to, to engage with my family faith in the way that it makes me feel and the way that I live it out and asking some pretty important questions. I want to suggest that the struggle with discouragement and illusion, disillusionment may be the result of limited thinking. It may be the result of looking at one thing so closely that we've forgotten the rest of the big picture. And I want to suggest that it's not easy And it's not necessarily fun to begin to step back and examine everything around us, but it is possible that there is hope. Now, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, I have too many times in my life told people when they were feeling down to cheer up. And you know how that works? Not so well. I have told people that I'm related to, that I've lived with, in the same house, when they were getting a little frustrated or angry with me, I've said, chill out. You know how well that works? Not well at all, ever. Never in the history of chill out has that ever chilled anybody out, (laughs) ever, ever. So I get it. I get saying like, oh, just step back and take a look at the big picture and you'll just be like Pollyanna. You'll have more. I get it. I get how terrible that sounds. But I do want to suggest and I do want to offer that there is hope and that it is a struggle, but it can happen. We can look at what God is doing in our lives, even in a season of confusion and disorientation, and understand that he's still at work. And I think that that's what we're going to talk about. I shouldn't say I think that's what we're going to talk about. That's exactly what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to read a section of scripture And this scripture is designed to explode your perspective. It's designed for people who are looking through a pinhole at their problems, and it's designed to just explode it out. And it's a beautiful passage of scripture. The guy that wrote it had a relationship with God that transformed them so fundamentally that, that people could hardly recognize them based on the things that they did. And this is just a, it's a beautiful passage of scripture. Um, so, we're going to read this, and, uh, and it'll be on the screen behind me, and I want you to notice a couple things as we go through here. I want you to notice, as we read this, that notice the over-the-top language in here. The over-the-top language. I mean, this guy is using what feels like superlatives right and left, every, all, oh, you know, before all things were created. I want you to see all that as we read through this section. Um, And then I also want you to see uh, that I would love to see a personality test on this author. I'd just love to see like, you know, what what it would come out as. But I want you to see what he's he's getting at here and how this passage is really, truly designed to explode your ideas of what what you, who you are and what you got going on in your life. All right. Ephesians chapter one, and we're going to start in verse three, and we're just going to read all our way through verse 10 here. Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse three. And I know when you're not the one reading the scripture, it's easy to just kind of tune out, but I'm just going to ask you to engage for the next seven verses of scripture here, because I think it'll be worth it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he, purposed in, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Remember, behavior follows identity. Behavior follows identity. Who you believe you are dictates the things that you will do. And so if you read a passage like that and you believe you are that kind of person, that will have a profound impact on the things that you do in your life. All spiritual blessings, adoption, sonship, all wisdom. I mean, it's an amazing passage and it is so rich and dense and we could probably just wander our way through it for a long time just picking out little details here and there about what he's talking about. He says that we are, he literally says that we are blameless in Christ. When you're feeling down and discouraged and disillusioned, do you feel blameless? You do not. When you're feeling down and discouraged and disillusioned, do you feel like you're adopted and accepted before the creation of the world in Christ? You do not. We forget these things. We forget these profound basics that Paul is trying to get us to remember. And I think that we could put it this way. Discouragement wants us to forget the things that God wants us to remember. Discouragement wants you to forget. Disillusionment wants you to forget. Frustration, uh, annoyance, agony, you know, whatever it is. They want you to forget the things that God wants you to remember. And that's why Paul starts out his book this way. Because these are the foundational principles of who you are in Christ. Now he's going to spend three chapters saying, okay, now here's what you do. But you start here. Because behavior follows identity. Um, you, you are familiar with many scriptures, uh, Philippians chapter 3, where it says it's no trouble. Paul says it's no trouble for me to remind you of these things because it is a safeguard for you to remind you of things that you already know. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 12, so I will always, Paul, Peter says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. I will remind you of these things so that you are firmly established in the truth that you now have. Discouragement wants us to forget what God wants us to remember. And I, I think we could even go further and say that more often than not, your growth that you will experience or not experience in your Christian walk has to do not with learning new things, but with remembering things that you already know. Let's keep reading. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Ephesians 1, 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I'd like to know that. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I read this fascinating article. Um, it was about a guy who was basically, I mean, he was having a rough decade. Uh, and you can look it up, Google it if you want. It's, his name's Lauren Kreitzer. And uh, he, it's, it, all, it all started when his grandmother passed away. And his grandmother had this special set of books that she had always promised him his entire life that when she died, he would get these books. And she died, they had the funeral, they did the whole process. And he went over to her house uh, to pick up these books and the house had been ransacked by family. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that happen, but sometimes when a family member dies, families just go crazy. So it had been, everything had been taken. The books that he wanted, everything that had been taken. He walks in this house, it's completely empty. The only thing that is left is this 
plastic garbage bag with two blankets in it. One of them is some sort of, you know, like whatever, you know, it's got some sort of logo on it. And then the other one was this, this blanket that his grandmother used to put out when the kittens, uh, when the cat would have kittens. And so that's all that was left. And he's like, well, all right. So he took the, 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 the plastic bag and he goes home and puts it in his closet. He goes on with his life. A couple years later, he has a car accident, loses a leg, can't work can't qualify for disability. And so he's just dirt poor, has nothing. He, uh, he, he eventually qualifies for about $700 a month of disability. And so he's trying to make that work. So he would eat ramen noodles most nights. But when it was a special occasion, he would go to Costco and he'd get a hot dog and a drink for $1.50. That was like his eating out. That was party uh, city for him. And it was just, it was hard. He didn't have enough money he felt like to take care of his kids. And so he sent his kids to live with his, uh, with his, his, uh, his, mo- his in-laws. Uh, out of state. Just, I mean, you imagine rock bottom. This is, this is like digging a little bit below rock bottom and there you are. Now, we can look at situations like this and we may not always agree with the decisions people made. You know, sometimes we look at people who are in dire straits and we're like, well, if I was that person, I would do this. But sometimes when you're in the bottom, when you're at the very lowest point, you're just, you don't think clearly. And we can look at it from our comfort of sipping our, st- our Starbucks and we can say, well, this is what I would do if I were them. Well, you're not them. <laughs> and sometimes things don't look so easy and simple when you're at bottom. They just don't. So shipping off your kids, maybe you wouldn't do that. Maybe you'd ah, flip hamburgers or whatever I needed to do. Well, great for you, but this is not what he did because when you're at rock bottom, your perspective gets narrow and you start feeling like this is all that life has to offer you and this is all that you have to offer life. So he's uh, sitting at home, he's watching TV a show by the name of uh, Antiques Roadshow comes on. Not my jam, never watched it, but evidently it's fun for people to sit around watching other people show off the stuff that they have that's really old. So one of the things that he was showing, that was showing on the TV, I've got a picture of it, was um, this blanket. And he's like, a blanket? I, I have a blanket from, from my grandma. It kind of looks like that. He found out that this was a Navajo blanket. And he's like, huh. He went to his closet, got out his blanket, and he held it up, and he like, looked really similar. Well, the appraiser told the guy that owned the blanket that this blanket right here on TV went for $500,000. Well, Lauren's like, whoa. I mean, even if I could just get 500 bucks, that, I mean, that would transform my, transform my life. And so he went to uh, an auctioneer, an appraiser who, who specializes in Native American materials. And, and the guy said, yeah, I think this is valuable. I mean, it could, be, it could be worth a couple thousand dollars. And Mr. Kreitzer is just like, are you kidding me? A couple thousand dollars? That would transform my life. And he's like, yeah, let's take this thing to auction. A couple months later, they take it to auction. The auction lasted 77 seconds. And that blanket that had been sitting in his closet for over seven years went for $1.5 million. $1.5 million. There it is. All that had been sitting on the floor of his closet while he was eating Costco hot dogs. Church, some of us are in spiritual poverty. We are eating whatever the spiritual equivalent of Costco hot dogs is. We are eking by. We are struggling. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We don't know what we're doing, but we're living in spiritual poverty. And we have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
We have that, and it is sitting on the floor of our closets. We have that. Look at, what, uh, look at what Paul says here in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, not gain, not acquire, that you may know what you already have, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. We talked about hope and inheritance last week. And, the, uh, and his, inco- in his holy people, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now this is really interesting because he starts to zoom in on this idea of power. But you have to understand that you already have, I already have untapped spiritual blessings in my life. I have it. I have access to it. And maybe because I'm at the bottom, it's hard to see, it's hard to envision, it's hard to imagine that I have anything to offer the world or that the world has anything to offer me. But we have that in Christ. We have it. And sometimes it's a matter of just getting that into our minds that we have these things in Christ that Paul has been writing about. That's unbelievable. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, that's great. What do I do? Snap my fingers and feel better about myself? Thanks a lot, Patrick. You're telling me I have something? What does that mean? What do I do? What next step do I have to take? And I love what Paul says here because he really zeroes in on this idea. This is really important to think. In verse 19, he says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he goes to explore this idea of power because he understands the people to whom he's speaking do not feel like they have power. There are people who are often on the outskirts of society. They're marginalized people. Sometimes they're slaves and sometimes because of their faith, they have been pushed away from society. And he's saying, you have power. That power, listen to this. This is mind-blowing if you actually let this fundamentally change your worldview. That power is the same as the mighty strength, verse 20, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This whole series has been predicated on the idea that, that the resurrection should impact every area of our life. Well, here it is again, that you have in you, maybe sitting on the floor of your spiritual closet, this power... That was the same power that reanimated Jesus' body. That same power is living in you. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. It's unbelievable to think that we have that. Whatever that means, we have that. that we possess that. That belongs to us. Power? What power? Look at what he says in verse 19 going on here. Uh, he says that power is the same, verse, 19, or verse 21. Go to the next slide if you would. He says that power is the same that was in Christ Jesus and it put Jesus far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Keep going. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed to him to be head over everything for the... Who's that? Somebody else. No, that's us. That Jesus, these things that Jesus has done, this power that Jesus exerts is for us. This is unbelievable. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the power that we have living in us. Wow, this is amazing. Now, let me say this. God is powerful. Yeah, we can get an amen from that. But... When I start saying, now that power needs to manifest itself in your life, I get a little bit more quiet. Because what we do and what we, when we acknowledge, listen, when we acknowledge the power that we have in Christ, then we begin to bear some, the burden for, for the transformation that we will receive in Christ. When we acknowledge that power, we begin to bear some of the responsibility. Is God going to transform us? Absolutely. But we begin to bear some responsibility. 
And so we can take that magnifying glass and we can begin to look at our own lives and we can say, wow, my life does not reflect the power that Jesus says that I have. My life does not reflect that. Oh. Because we're, we're now responsible. We now have some expectations placed on us and sometimes we don't like those things. It is much easier to blame our circumstances and our struggles for our problems. It is much easier to scapegoat someone or something else. And listen, you may be the product of your circumstances, but you are not the victim of your circumstances. Your circumstances may have created you the way you are with the baggage and the hang-ups and the shortcomings, but you do not have to, because of the resurrection, be a victim of your circumstances. Let's be really honest, because I have tried to be really honest with myself. Let's be really honest. Isn't it a little ridiculous, some of the stuff that we have been struggling with for decades Isn't it a little ridiculous some of the sin that we have in our lives that we have not rooted out, that we've just let live there and let undermine the foundations of our lives? Isn't it a little ridiculous some of the things that we have neglected to do, some of the the generosity and the sacrifice and the patience that we have not exhibited? Isn't it a little silly when we start thinking about the power that we have in Christ, the way that we've allowed our lives to fall so far short of that? so far short of of even what God is able to do in us. It's a little silly. And I know you're like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable. Yeah, you, the Spirit needs to be looking at your heart and you need to feel uncomfortable because we have allowed ourselves to fall so far short of the calling to which Christ has called us. We really have. We really have. It's crazy that we're dealing with some of the same things that we do for decades. Now, is it easy? Of course not. I mean, but come on, decades of the same sin? Listen, years of holding on to the same grudge? Years of it? Years of letting your marriage just sink into something that it just was not meant to be? Just not dealing with it? Not getting the help that you need? Years of sin? Entire seasons of not coming to terms with the junk in our lives and just like hoping that it'll eventually fade away? It's not going to fade away. It's going to continue to seep in and undermine who you are in Christ. Let's deal with it. We have power in Christ. I think a lot of us, and I'm, I'm in this category, but a lot of us are living well below our spiritual potential. We are. Not because life's not hard. I get it. Life's hard. Man, life is hard. You know, it's just like parenting where you're, you're so good at parenting until you have kids. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you're so good at it. It's like, oh, it, it'd be easy to be a Christian until you're like, oh, this is, this is what it's all about. I get it. And I get sometimes, honestly, I get sometimes the longer you are in Christ and the more Christ, you know, graciously reveals some of the struggles that you have, the harder it can get. I get it. I get it. It's hard. But we have every spiritual blessing. We have the power, the same power that was exhibited when Christ, or when God raised Christ from the dead. So, We've got to stop wallowing. We've got to stop excusing. We've got to stop blaming. And let me say this, and I know I'm being blunt and straightforward, but this is true. Whatever it is that is keeping you from being like Christ is simply not a good enough excuse. Whatever your excuse is, you can rush up to me afterwards and say, well, Patrick, but you don't understand. It doesn't matter. Whatever the excuse is, is simply not good enough. Does this mean it's going to be easy? No. No, not at all. Does this mean that, oh, you know, tomorrow everything will be awesome? No, not at all. No. 
No. It's hard work, but it's work that can be done if we allow the Spirit to transform our hearts and our lives. You cannot do it by sheer force of will. And maybe that's why you've been failing, because you feel like that's what, where you've been. You have, let me, let me wrap up by saying this, you have the power to respond to hurt with forgiveness. You have that power. You can do that. You have the power to respond to temptation with self-control. You can do that. You can do that. You have the power to respond to discouragement with hope. You have that power in you. God has granted you that power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as we close, I want to pray verses 18 and 19 over us. We're going to pray as we uh, think about what Paul is telling us in these two verses. So I'm going to pray these verses. You're welcome to keep your eyes open, close your eyes. I don't, I don't care how you do this, but we're going to pray uh, these, this prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>